We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined on the telephone this evening by ICRT's Central Taiwan correspondent, Donovan Smith in Taichung. And good evening. And ICRT's Southern Taiwan correspondent, Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Hey there. Tonight we'll be discussing a county government taking legal action against Thai Power and the Taichung Power Plant, longer weekend public holidays, but the same amount of days off a year, a Chinese student seeking resident status after bad-mouthing Xi Jinping, new rules for electric bicycles, and Taipei's favourite breakfast foods. But we'll begin with the latest news about the presidential primaries, which, due to the ongoing failure of both the DPP and the KMT to actually finalise the processes, well, they're continuing to make headline news, with words such as chaos being splashed across the front pages of the local newspapers. Now, the DPP this week announced its plans to hold a primary consisting of one or more public opinion polls from May the 27th through May the 31st, and then name its 2020 nominee on June the 5th. And then a day later, the party said it was postponing its primary until after May the 22nd, saying the party needs more time to organise the the process and also to confer with its two main 2020 hopefuls. Now, according to Party Secretary General Law Wen Jia, mediation between President Tsai Ing-wen and former Premier William Lai by a five-member panel is ongoing. Meanwhile, Kaohsiung Mayor Hang Guo-yu on Tuesday of this week confirmed that he is willing to be included in the KMT's process to nominate its candidate. However, speaking after a meeting with KMT Chairman Udoni, Han remained cryptic about what he actually means, saying while he cannot participate in the primary under its current rules, he will respect any other arrangements introduced by the party. Now, he also went on to refuse to say whether he would accept the nomination of the KMT's presidential candidate, even if he comes out on top of public opinion polls. Now, the KMT's organisational, organisational that was, Development Committee, says it will likely announce the nomination schedule on May the 15th, and opinion polls could be held in June and the 2020 candidate announced in July. Now, while all that was going down, Honhai Chairman Terry Gore, who also happens to be a KMT 2020 wannabe, was in Washington, D.C., wearing a baseball cap and meeting with Donald Trump. He was also talking a lot like Donald Trump when he met the local media in the U.S. Capitol. So, Donovan, the DPP finally picking a date, then changing the date, and possibly at the same time... It's all a bit of a mess, or chaos, as I believe the China Times labelled it. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, <clears throat> I, I just wrote a piece on this, um, and also the KMT, uh, uh, which came out this morning, of uh, the primaries. The, the DPP primary is uh, a, a bit brutal. I mean, it's unprecedented that you, you have a challenger, to a, to not only to an incumbent, but a sitting president. And the DPP has created a kind of a, a, a nightmare scenario for themselves. Most of the polls, and now admittedly most polls here are politically biased, but they seem to be pretty consistent across the political biases of who's holding the polls. And that is that you've got uh, the general public, as things stand now, seem to be giving the edge to William Lai. Now, William Lai has, of course, sort of appeared, uh, you know, he... Uh, 
you know, he obviously has been planning to run for quite a while, and he, um, you know, there's uh, people were leaving the party. Several people have left the party now. At this point, so far, only uh, very elderly. Um, pro-independence Taidu types. Um, but what he seems to be is an avatar of all the kind of people who are disgruntled within the party at Tsai um, Ing-wen. So he's basically, his appearance in the race has, has created a series of fissures, uh, or at least brought them to light. So uh, they're rallying a bit behind him, and with the unprecedented, uh, you know, uh, move of running and the polls, as I was saying, um, seem to be giving the edge to Tsai, to to Lai Qingde with the general public. But Tsai Ing-wen seems to be winning in the polls or within party members or DPP voters, which could and risks creating a situation whereby uh, Tsai Ing-wen is the sitting lame duck president with having a very bad relationship with Lai Qingde, who's actually the party's candidate, who may or may not end up having to partially run against the government uh, because of poor communication, which is very likely, uh, that is controlled by his own party. Now, even if Tsai Ing-wen wins, a lot of the fissures that have come to light um, are going to remain, or she's going to have a, a tough time uh, bringing those, uh, you know, bringing those in under control and party unity back under control. And she's got another problem, which is that because she and the top brass in the DPP have kept changing the rules to try and forestall uh, William Lai from being the candidate to try and buy time to negotiate, to try and get him to leave the race, and so on and so forth. If Lai does lose, a lot of his supporters are going to likely be very bitter because he was way ahead in the polls when the polls were supposed to be held for the primary. Now, of course, fundamentally, the DPP's major problem here is that their, their primary is a public opinion poll, just the general public, meaning anybody. And this is not like in, say, for example, the United States, where some states have have open primaries where anybody from any party can go vote in the party primary, it still generally favors the committed party faithful because they're the ones who tend to still show up because you actually have to go and physically go and vote, whereas here they're just doing random phone calls probably to people with landlines. Right, so Michael, you live in Mr Han's land and he's being rather cryptic about yes or no. One day he says, yes, I will run, then he seems to think of a reason why he can't run. Right. Well, it seems very clear to me that he wants to avoid actually signing up or joining, if you want to use other words, for this primaries. He'd be okay with being included, but it seems that uh, there are two very clear camps on either side of Han, and one of them, uh, possibly uh, led by some of his family members or close advisors, are saying, you know what, stick to your post. You're lucky you got in. Do your years here, maybe even eight years as mayor, then you can uh, come back as whatever. But then you've got the other side, and they're basically quoting the uh, iconic rapper Eminem with, uh, you only get one shot, you know, this is your one chance, don't, don't miss it. And if you're looking at it from a political angle, uh, you know, a cynical political angle, he really has been given sort of a golden opportunity here to come from obscurity and possibly run for president, and he has a decent chance of winning should he do that. So he's got these two camps, uh, angel, demon sort of thing, whispering in his ear back and forth. And then there's a lot of other questions that are starting to crop up now in Kaohsiung. 
For example, in Taiwan, unlike in the U.S., um, if you're a, a mayor or a county magistrate or something, you generally either resign your post uh, or take a... a for the most part, as, as I, I remember it, most of people have resigned. Even the uh, unfortunately never destined to win Yao Wenzi in the past the Taipei election, he uh, stepped down as legislator to prove his commitment to the race, right? So if Han were to do this, should he resign his post? Would he take a hiatus? And then should he lose either the primary or the election itself, would Kaohsiung welcome him back? Um, these, are, these are questions. And uh, would the, the, uh, if there was a rerun of an election for a new mayor, would the KMT be able to retake the city one time again? So these are like very, very huge questions that I think he's really hoping that he doesn't have to make any of these decisions. He's hoping it's sort of thrust on him and that he's sort of anointed, I would say, by the party. And in that case, he'll be able to say, my dear Kaohsiung people, I, I love you to death, but I have to do this for the sake of the country, and I hope you understand. But even if that's the case, there's still a lot of balking down here over what he should do. Should, if he were to become a candidate for president or the candidate for the KMT, should he step down? And then what happens after that? So all of these things are there. Uh, and uh, on top of that, uh, you've also got the China angle, of course. China obviously has a, a, a you know, uh, without it saying any bias here, China has a clear vested interest in seeing the KMT get back into power. And Han is on television nearly every day these days mentioning the 92 consensus and how this is a starting point for uh, relations improving with China and uh, a jump off point for how we move forward and all of this. So uh, he, he's getting a lot of pressure, not just from Kaohsiung people, from uh, KMT, but also from, I would say, uh, possibly uh, our, our, our large neighbor, sort of indirect pressure, if you want to put it gently. Right, Donovan, Terry Gore in Washington. You saw him interviewed on television. Uh, yeah, I saw part of that, and I read part of it as well. Um, the uh, Now, this is in, in, interesting in the sense that, uh, on the one hand, it may be significant. On the other hand, it's totally not significant, um, in that he's the first... He's the first presidential candidate um, to meet with a sitting U.S. president since diplomatic ties were cut in 1979. Now, of course, it's, he's just a primary contender, and of course, the reason why Donald Trump met with him is because, of course, uh, Donald Trump wants to shore up the massive investment that was originally uh, proposed for Wisconsin and was signed off on. And of course, uh, Foxconn or Hong Hanhai, uh, Gary, Terry, Terry Guo's company has continually changed exactly what that investment is. And it's iffy, you know, whether it'll go forward or not. Although now that he's a candidate for president, he seems to have found, uh, re-found his interest in the project. Did you notice that uh, TVBS and some of these other pro-KMT uh, pro, uh, stations had to actually cut him off uh, during his news conference because he rambled for so long? In that regard, he is uh, beginning to sound a little bit like uh, a certain U.S. president. <laughs> well, he also, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he's, he's got such baggage that I, I think he's a long shot. I mean, right now he's a bit of a, you know, he's sort of got the flash in the pan and a bit of a honeymoon. Um, but he's financially so deeply in bed with the Chinese Communist Party um, 
the majority of his investments, his holdings, his manufacturing base is all in China. He claims he's going to improve the economy in Taiwan um, and that he knows how, but he actually made his fortune effectively gutting the manufacturing base in Taiwan. Um, he has a long history of authoritarian uh, statements. So I think he's got an uphill climb. It's possible that he can overcome much of these. He recently, though, uh, uh, basically wrote off the F-16 uh, purchases and U.S. military purchases and suggested, <laughs> according to one uh, one headline or the, the sub-headline, uh, that he prefers uh, he, he would prefer drones to uh, locally developed drones to F-16s. Um, and so he he keeps making these kinds of statements. Now, unlike, say, Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump uh, and, uh, to a certain degree, Han Guoyu, both of them have very positive messages, and both, uh, which Han Guoyu, sorry, which uh, Terry Guo has, has a little bit of uh, trouble with. He, right, he right, like sort I'm of a sour, dark character. And he 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 has a very very bad temper and tends to lash out. He's also used to being the man in charge, which I think is going to come across as very arrogant in the press. Whereas Hang Guoyu is very very good at uh, at being you know playing the the act of being very humble. Uh, he's also very good at sort of deflecting uh, criticism for his un- unusual statements. Um, and Hang Guoyu tends to be, he's more sort of charming, man next door. He doesn't come across as arrogant. So both of them, I think, are going to be hit a lot on their China stance, both Hang Guoyu and uh, Terry Guo. Um, but I think that Terry Guo has a more brittle personality, uh, and it's going to be harder for him to carry it forward. Um, and when he loses his temper, he's not going to do it in the way that, say, Donald Trump does it, who tends to use, even when he's insulting people, he tends to be humorous about it and use a kind of banter, um, which Terry Gore just sort of blows up. Yeah, if I was if I was the KMT right now and I wanted to, I assume that William Lai is my uh, uh, person on the other side. Uh, the person that I would want standing there would definitely be Han versus Terry Guo because, you know, uh, Lai, Lai Qingda is just going to hammer uh, Terry Guo about his relations with China and his loyalty to the country, yep. and it's just going to be too easy to, to hammer him on that. Whereas uh, with Han, Han has been, Han's been making statements like, I was born in Taiwan, I grew up in Taiwan, I'm going to be buried in Taiwan, long live the ROC. <laughs> so he's yeah. touching all the bases just perfectly, you know, just hitting all those notes like a, like a maestro. So, yeah. If I was the party, I would want him over Terry. Although the uh, Global Times, the Chinese uh, sort of the uh, the firebrand wing of the, of Xinhua News, the news wing of the Chinese Communist Party, has more or less come out and endorsed uh, Terry Guo. Obviously, I mean, yeah. why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Let's move on from politics and the Nanto County Magistrate Lin Ming Chin filed a complaint with prosecutors against Thai Power this week, claiming that pollution from its Taijong power plant is responsible for the high death rates from lung related cancers in Nanto. Now, Lin filed the complaint with the Nanto District Prosecutor's Office, 
and it targets Thai Power Chairman Yang Wei Fu, Thai Power President Jong Bin Lee, as well as the power plant itself. Now, according to Lin, county officials believe that the persistent bad air quality and high concentration of fine particulate matter in Nanto's air comes from the Taijong power plant, and the facility is endangering public safety in accordance with the criminal code. So we talked vaguely about this a couple of weeks ago, Donovan, when the Taijong city government was up in arms over the Taijong power plant over wastewater. But now the Nanto County Magistrate is claiming that it's causing lung cancer rates in his county to go up, and he's suing basically the chairman and the president. Yeah, for endangering public safety. Um, Now, the Nanto County government has actually been floating this uh, plan now for quite a while now. This is not not a new plan, but um, in the aftermath of the... A lot of it has to do with Taijung politics, of all things. Um, when the when there was the uh, pro-unification uh, speaker and the march was going to happen here in Taijung, uh, the Liu Xiaoyang government took a pretty heavy beating politically. And then the week right after, she turned it around um, by issuing a record fine against Thai power over, uh, of all things, water pollution, which, by the way, the uh, one of the demands on that was to get a plan to, to rectify the problem, which was just re- another one the second time. Now the city government has just rejected it, and they're asking for yet another one by this coming Monday. That's the latest news on that. Now, what happened is Lu Xiaoyan during that week also did not, she came out and said that she's not ruling out uh, suing Thai Power or joining the Nanto uh, County case. And so that gave a lot of press uh, oxygen to, uh, pardon the pun, uh, to the to Lin Minzun's, uh, the count, Nanto County Commissioner's case. Now, the Nanto County uh, government has been talking about they have high cancer rates for quite some time. Now, the difficulty here is, of course, and they, they claim that because there are no major stationary sources of air pollution in Nanto, that this can't be coming from within Nanto, although, of course, they have, you know, cars and other sources of pollution. But um, and then, of course, there's a lot of uh, air pollution that is generated elsewhere, particularly Zhanghua and Taichung. The air blows up against the mountains in Nanto and then basically is trapped there. So the air pollution rates in Nanto are some of the worst in the country. And so that's the essential. So they are now claiming that, that because a lot of that is coming from the Thai power plant, uh, and it's the largest stationary uh, source of air pollution in the country, that gets blown up against the mountains. It stays there in Nanto and then gives people lung cancer. The problem is causing, is proving that that is what's causing it. Because there are, of course, a lot of other factors that go into getting cancer, and there are a lot of other sources of air pollution. So it's going to be a tough case. Plus, the central government will probably back tie power on this. And, of course, uh, Michael, you have lots of power plants and polluting places in Kaohsiung. So, obviously, if this case goes through, could the Kaohsiung government possibly find some of these rather polluting places in your city? Right. Well, currently, the current Han administration seems to have taken a 
a bit of a, a, a more generous tone than had uh, the government administration of Chen Chi Mai. If, if he had won the election, I think there would have been a bit of a difference. And we can see that uh, this is anecdotal evidence and, you know, can be proven. But uh, one area that overwhelmingly voted for Chen Chi Mai in the last election is the Lingya district. And that is where one of the uh, coal-fired uh, plants is located. And uh, the, the, during the election, there was talk about possibly either shutting that down or uh, phasing it out or something like that. But as, uh, as soon as Han came in, he pointed towards he wanted to use cleaner coal, perhaps, or more b- better filters or things like this. So uh, the current administration doesn't seem to have much of an, an ad- uh, aptitude for closing it down. But there does, uh, and I agree with Don- Donovan, there's a big problem with cause and effect. And, and questions about what exactly is causing what. Thai Power will come out and show you statements that show, you know, that this particular plant only contributes one point something percent of uh, PM 2.5 emissions. And then other experts will agree with that, and they'll say, well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And then you have local people who also don't seem to have a, a very clear understanding of what the sources of pollution are. I mean, we had a, a rally in both Taipei and Kaohsiung over the last weekend where they were protesting nuclear power, and there was a guy out there pushing a polar bear, uh, obviously not a real one, but a, a stuffed sort of full-size polar bear along there, and it seemed that he was equating uh, climate change or global warming with atomic power, which is a little bit of a stretch, and it, it generated a little bit of mockery. So it's just there's a lot of misinformation, there's a lot of misunderstanding, Standing and uh, because of this, I don't think we really have a clear idea. And if we don't have a clear idea, I don't think this is going to be settled anytime soon. I don't think the courts are going to be able to rule in this regard. It's really going to come down to, in my view, more of a central government uh, decision that is widely supported by uh, the legislature, and uh, we'll see if that ever happens. And of course, Donovan, this case in Taijong with the Taijong power plant, one could argue it's political. The Nanto County magistrate is, is filing charges against the Thai power chairman and the Thai power president. But surely if lung-related cancers are on the rise in Nanto, this must have been going on for probably more than a decade, which means other people and other administrations are technically responsible. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, obviously the president I and mean, the chairman and the president of, of uh, Thai Power, these are political appointees. Um, and obviously Thai Power has been around for a long time, and the Taijung Power Plant has, was built in the early 90s. So, um, yeah, so it, it's a curious choice to have picked those two people personally uh, rather than the company, but there may be a good legal reason for that, and I'm not a lawyer. Um, and so I, I can't say I understand that or, you know, the risk of radioactive polar bears, for that matter. Um, <laughs> I, I suspect that uh, that what's going to end up I, – I, I suspect this is going to get a bit dirty. Um, the that there's they're they're going after political appointees from the Thai administration, uh, which seems odd considering that they again, as you noted, they they didn't initiate this by any stretch of the imagination. That that belongs to the the government and uh, Thai power, which is state owned. Um, and also, uh, I, I suspect that there's going to be uh, the legal case is going to get messy. It's probably going to devolve into things like racism. Um, you know, they're going to say, "Oh, but people in in 
Nanto are they're you know they're they're country people and and they're indigenous and so therefore they smoke a lot and eat a lot of beetle nuts and you know this kind of nonsense. Um, yeah, agreed. And they're going to try and pitch that as why the cancer rates are high. Also, and there is some truth to this, is that Nanto's population is aged and it's the population there's been dropping fairly quickly. So yeah, the the population age base. Uh, is, is old because basically every, all the young people are leaving. And so, of course, there are going to be higher cancer rates, even in the best of circumstances, just simply because of the average age of the population. Let's move in another direction now. And the Cabinet on Wednesday approved a plan to extend several national holidays next year. And along with making the Lunar New Year holidays seven days, government agencies and Joe and Jane Blow will also have five other extended weekends next year, those being the 2 to 8 Peace Memorial Day, the Tomb Sweeping Festival Holiday, the Dragon Boat Festival Holiday, the Mid-Autumn Festival Holiday and the Double Ten National Day Holiday. However, and now there's always a however when it comes to giving working stiffs a day off, as while it all sounds pretty, we'll have longer holidays. Well, it doesn't quite work that way because of the official makeup Saturday, which means that while we'll have longer holidays in the week, everyone has to go to work a couple of weeks before that on a Saturday. So, an inane rule, Donovan, or do you like it? Do you like going to work for six days a week? It doesn't matter to me. I go anyway. Um, I'm, I'm the boss, so <laughs> it's kind of irrelevant to me. Um, and now I, I know that a lot of people, uh, there's a very mixed opinion on the people that I've talked to about this. Um, some people are resentful because they normally do get Saturday off and they like their two-day weekends. And to lose their two-day weekends, they dislike that. Other people love it when they get a you know a three day or even longer weekend um, because they can use that to go and take a holiday. They can uh, do things that require a little bit more time, including travel to and from. So, for example, to to go visit their family home if it's a bit more remote, then they get to actually you know they take the time to get there and go back, but they have more time to actually enjoy it. Or they can even go overseas or travel around the island and. Now, I know from the government's perspective, they, 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 what they really care about is boosting the local economy. So what they're hoping to do is get um, the, the population to go out there and burn through their savings uh, and spend it on other people in Taiwan by traveling around and spending cash so that they can boost their savings. I, I think that's generally the, the, the rationale behind it. Well, as a as a person who's not a boss and who does uh, follow normal uh, week uh, work days, uh, in from from my experience, uh, if you've got uh, Saturday and Sunday, you've got a normal weekend, and then you have on top of that a longer holiday. Those are the times when we are likely to go out and spend money. When you work six days a week and then you have a long weekend, you. Sp- uh, often spend the first day of that weekend just sort of acclimatizing. Then you realize that there's cars on every single freeway, and often you end up just staying home and watching TV. So uh, I'm actually pretty opposed to this idea, and it seems that there's a lot of workers uh, on May Day up in Taipei. You had uh, quite a large crowd out there throwing water bottles at the executive yuan in the presidential office building, talking about the work uh, conditions for uh, laborers. And they they pointed out a a simple thing. Back in 2016, when the Thai administration introduced a five-day work week, seven public holidays were abolished. And it seems that every time they give us more holidays, 
they're also taking something away. So I don't think that's going to actually help with the government's goal of getting us to spend more money. If they want us to spend more money, they've got to give us our weekends and then on top of that, give us more days off because that's the only time that you really feel like, hey, you know, I've, I've got something. It's, uh, it's partially psychological in my view, how you, how you view this, how, how it excites you, you know, to, to be able to go out and spend money. And this is just not exciting in, in, in my opinion. Okay, two, two quick comments on that. First, oh my goodness, are you suggesting that the theory that some Taipei bureaucrats came up with might not actually work in practice on the ground outside of Taipei? So. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and second, obviously it's working because, you know, uh, the, the workers are now, took the time off, went to Taipei and spent their money <laughs> on, their hard-earned money on water bottles to throw at the executive UN. Now that's a, a good vacation if I've ever heard of one. Very cynical, but I take your point. <laughs> it was also raining very heavily this past weekend, I should add. Uh, yeah, well, that's saving money on the, on the water because that's, of course, not doesn't go into the consumer economy. So, uh, you know, that, that worked out very nicely. Right. And, you know, uh, we, we also have to, to think about the, the people with children here, and that would be one of me. Uh, I mean, I would count myself among them. So, like, you, you, you have Your Children's child? Day, various, various vacations, summer vacation, all of this stuff, but we still haven't figured out intelligent ways of how parents can survive. So there are some days that children have off, but parents still have to work. And here we are in 2019 and we haven't figured out this basic logic of I'm need to go to the office and at the same time I need to watch my kid how is that supposed to work and we've been talking about it for what seems like a decade and no progress whatsoever on any of these things and for many parents it's a kind of torture every time one of these extra holidays comes around and yeah so I think that's another issue for for working families that hasn't been addressed adequately yeah, that is a serious problem. Yeah, I've seen that also with my own staff. So generally, they get the Saturday off uh, so they can take care of the kids. Right, and we have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. Now a 21-year-old from China's Shandong province has applied for long-term residency with the National Immigration Agency here in Taiwan. He did that on Monday, citing his desire to seek political asylum. Now Li Jiabao is currently enrolled in a short-term programme at the Jianan University of Pharmacy and Science in Tainan. And his decision to seek residency here comes after he took to a live stream on Twitter on March the 13th to criticise China's President Xi Jinping for removing the two-term limit on presidential terms. Now, obviously, people did question his reasons for wanting to live here, but he denied the claims that he was deliberately criticising China's president in the hope of being allowed to stay in Taiwan, saying that he could have applied for a US visa or sought political asylum in America. So, Michael... Obviously, he can't get political asylum here because there's no asylum laws. Right, and this is something I think that uh, Taiwan's government is going to have to figure out, this policy, because uh, if, for example, they do grant uh, permanent residency to this young man, 
Um, what's to stop, you know, people from landing at the airport and screaming Xi Jinping is a bleep, 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 and then asking for asylum, right? So this is an issue that uh, we've, we've uh, debated and talked about. There's been a few high-profile cases of some people from Tibet or this place or that place. Uh, I think the, the dissidents or two from the, uh, from the uh, Tiananmen Square, you know, demonstrations, they have been given residency in Taiwan. But this is a, a, a pretty unique case to have a 21-year-old young man just uh, do this uh, sort of political stunt and then ask to stay. So I see this as, as very, very complicated. You know, it's the problems of a free society. Uh, up in Taipei, you have uh, all those people out there waving uh, both Taiwanese independence flags on one side and then mainland Chinese flags on the other side, and they're debating what to do about that. But, uh, yeah, in a free society, how do you, how do you let these sort of uh, things proceed when you've got such prickly relations with a, a next-door neighbor? It's, uh, it's complicated. Yeah, um, I mean, the broader picture, of course, is that, and they're debating this right now, is that, of course, you know, you can't, um, they can't count people from China as refugees because, in theory, China belongs to the Republic of China. Um, You you know, the the Chinese people can't be a traitor to the country if they uh, divulge secrets or aid and abet the Chinese Communist Party because it's part of China and uh, they can't label China an enemy country, so therefore you can't actually be a traitor. Uh, You know, so it's kind of tied in with all of that stuff. Um, But on the the more practical point, I I think you're absolutely correct that, you know, the the big worry here is that you just simply get, yeah, people showing up at the airport and shouting Xi Jinping, you know, uh, I believe you put it bleep, 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 bleep. Mm. Um, So I I think that there has, I I think that at some point Taiwan, it should come up with some kind of um, refugee or political asylum laws. but I think there has to be somewhat of a higher bar. In other words, the, the actions that they, if they're going to claim political asylum, that the actions need to have taken place in China that put them seriously at risk, um, not in Taiwan as an excuse. And, of course, we've all seen the stories of what China does to dampen these sort of things, you know, the uh, late-night visits to the families or relatives of other people. So I I worry that this young man has not thought through the ramifications of his uh, decision to do this so publicly. And uh, if I had to put money on it, I I don't think he's going to be granted uh, asylum or long-term residency, and he will probably have to go back and face some sort of music, unfortunately. That would be my my bet. I don't think this is going to have a happy ending for him. But doesn't China also block social media? Does China block Twitter? It certainly does, but uh, that doesn't mean that uh, the authorities aren't monitoring him. So even if the greater Chinese public hasn't heard about him, the Chinese authorities certainly have. And the second he lands at the airport, he will be picked up by uh, certain uh, ununiformed uh, officers who will definitely do something. And uh, that's just the reality of it. So um, perhaps this will uh, serve as a, as, a, as a sort of a warning for others who come to Taiwan. But yeah, it's, 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 it's as Donovan noted, and, and I've been saying it's complicated because we do have freedom of speech here, and you are allowed to say what you wish. You are allowed to fly to various flags or scream whatever you want. So we can't stop people from doing what they want or saying what they want in Taiwan, but I don't think we can also allow just anyone who criticizes China to stay here because uh, that could... Uh, 
rather exponentially increase our population. Especially on social media, because if everyone who ever criticised anyone on social media, anywhere in the world, came here and claimed residency, there'd be no room for anybody else. Very, <laughs> yes, that's absolutely true. Although I do find it very amusing that the People's Daily and other uh, Communist Party mouthpieces uh, all uh, ask you to follow them on Twitter and, and market themselves heavily in, on Facebook and Twitter. As long as you're not in China, right? As long as you're not in China. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's a rather transportation-oriented news this week. There's been an increase in the number of electric bicycles hitting the island's streets, and that's led to the government to seek new regulations to cover the battery-powered velocipeds. Now, lawmakers have passed initial reviews of the amendment to the Road Traffic Management and Penalty Act, which, if passed, will impose penalties on owners of said electric bicycles for several infractions. Now, owners who modify their e-bikes to go faster than 25 kilometres an hour will be subject to fines of up to 5,400 NT. Electrical bicycle owners caught speeding can be fined up to 1,800 NT, while those caught not wearing a safety helmet will face fines of 300 NT. So electric bicycles, Michael, do they hit you on the pavement or do you see them on the roads down in Kaohsiung? Uh, I'm, I'm shocked at the number of bikes. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you, you, you labeled them as sort of bicycles, but the ones that I'm seeing on the roads here in the motorcycle lanes and on the streets are very much uh, copycats of e-scooters, the kind that do get licenses like Gogoro or various uh, Yamaha or uh, Kimco bikes that are available on the market currently. And these ones, uh, they don't have license plates. It just has some little notation that it's a, an electric uh, vehicle. And they, they're rocketing around the streets uh, as if they were scooters. I'm surprised at how many have gone up. And uh, this has become an issue because, uh, you know, you, you don't need a license for one of these, although I think one of the provisions of the new law is that you need to be 18 to drive one. But then let's say you are pulled over drunk on a, a city street. How do you give someone a DUI if they don't have a license? Then we also have issues of migrant workers here. Many of uh, the, the factory workers from Indonesia, the Philippines, and other places, they prefer to ride these e-bikes because it's easier than uh, getting a license in Taiwan for some of them. And a couple of them have been pulled over in recent months and found to have uh, been consuming alcohol. Now, that's a bigger problem for them because getting a criminal blemish on your record means deportation. But they've argued that uh, the rules aren't clear. They didn't know what they were doing. They thought that this was the equivalent of a bicycle. And my final thought is uh, the fines that you just rolled out do not have me quivering in my boots in any way. 300 NT for a helmet, what, 1,800 for, for speeding, and I don't know what they would uh, put up for, for a DUI, but it doesn't 500. seem like a, sorry? 500. 500, yeah, that really doesn't seem like something that's going to deter uh, many people from uh, uh, evading those laws, especially down here in Gaucho, where we already have a problem with normal scooter riders wearing helmets. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, apparently I saw a number and it was something like 68 or 74, something like that. It was, it was somewhere between 50 and 100 um, uh, f uh, foreign, uh, foreigners, all, all of them it looked like to be um, foreign laborers from Southeast Asia have yeah. been deported uh, because it is considered a criminal offense, even though the fine is only 500 NT. Um, now, in my in my current neighborhood and uh, my last neighborhood, there's there's a fair number of people riding around on these, um, and they, they generally aren't going super fast, but some of them do. Um, the the and I'm, it's not so much the helmets that concern me um, or the licensing. The one thing that really did 
has scared me um, is that not so much my current neighborhood, which is very brightly lit, but in my old one, which is right near the Taichung Industrial Park, there was long stretches of road that were not very well lit. And these electric bikes, often they didn't have any lights or reflective uh, things on them at all. So you'd go, be going down the road and you couldn't see them. And that was the, my primary concern with them, is the, the sheer lack of visibility or the lack of requirement that there, there be any lights. Uh, because they generally were going at relatively low speeds. Uh, that actually made it more easy to hit them, especially because you couldn't see them. So if you're going at a, what would be a normal speed for a motorcycle, they're going at half that speed, and they're not there, and then all of a sudden, just sort of out of the blue, it seems to appear. And that did, did actually find, I found that very frightening. And there seems to be some that are capable of reaching speeds uh, seriously in excess of 25K. Uh, down in Kending, there's been several reports, and uh, as I remember, both of the deaths that I can think of in recent times were uh, mainland Chinese nationals visiting Kending, and I guess they just thought that this uh, vehicle would be easier to operate and easier, like they assumed it would be a, some sort of a bicycle thing, when in reality it's just a few steps down from a full-service uh, scooter, and uh, they drove into ditches or hit walls and uh, passed away. So there's certainly uh, uh, safety issues to consider here. Of course, the genie can't be put back into the box, right? These things are out there. They're going to be out there. We're, we're seeing these debates in the States over uh, little scooters that you just hop on and go around with companies like Bird, and I think Lyft even has some uh, of these ones. So this is an issue that I guess is being faced by a lot of cities uh, all around the world, and uh, it, it's going to continue. I think the government could possibly uh, just come up with some sort of a licensing uh, project for this, and that way it would make it easier to uh, enforce these laws. That seems to be a more logical solution to me. Right, and before we go this week, the Taipei Department of Health released the results of a survey on the capital's favourite breakfasts and found that sandwiches, hamburgers and egg pancakes were the three most popular. Well, they were the three most popular among females aged between 30 and 39 who either live or work in Taipei because the city government actually admitted that they were the focus target of the survey. Now, as three males far older than that who don't all live in Taipei, so... Michael, sandwiches, hamburgers, or egg pancakes? I strongly disagree with these choices and uh, believe that black coffee and cereal is what one should eat every morning. That's all I have to say on that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm an egg pancake and a black coffee kind of guy. Uh, I, the sandwiches for me are a little too sweet and way too much on the carbs. So, uh, yeah, I, I, but, but I, do, I do understand why the sandwiches are, are popular because they don't need to be heated, they don't need to be cooked. Uh, and I see a lot of people, when, they, when they're picking up their breakfast, they're in a hurry on their way to work. And, they can, and often they, they have the breakfast places uh, sometimes will put out a table literally by the roadside so you can ride up right by your scooter. You, you know, they reach into their pocket without even turning off the scooter, hand over the coins, and the sandwich is handed to them, and off they go. Um, So, I mean, in terms of of, of speed, practicality, uh, the sandwiches are quite good. And then, of course, they, you know, they they, they sort of, like, put a little bit of, like, lettuce and stuff on there. So there's sort of this general wave in the direction of healthiness. 
uh, you know, like a little bit of fairy dust, uh, kind of, uh, uh, you'll get some plant nourishment out of it. And this goes back to, like, the worker issues that we were talking about before. Uh, a lot of uh, bosses that I've talked to complain that the majority of their staff bring in their breakfast, come in and clock in, if that's what your company forces you to do, and then sit down at their desk and eat breakfast there. And these bosses have said, you know, this is disrespectful to the company and da da da. But if they lived the life of an average uh, person in Taiwan who wakes up at 6 a.m., gets their kids ready for school, takes them there, maybe comes back, prepares something, and then goes off to an eight-hour, nine-hour, ten-hour workday, you can see why it would be popular, especially among women in that particular age, who uh, many of whom probably do have children and uh, probably do the majority of housework and childcare work. So, you know, uh, I, I sort of, uh, I understand their plight. Yeah, and that, that, that's all absolutely correct. And I'd add another element, which is generally speaking, bosses can afford to live much closer to their companies. Um, and most of the workers, especially uh, lower level or entry level workers, often have to commute really long distances yeah. uh, to get to work, which is very time consuming. You can't eat your breakfast on, say, the MRT in Taipei or on buses. It's, it's sort of considered, it, well, it's illegal. You should be fined for it. Yes, and that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined on the telephone today by Donovan Smith in Taichung. Have a great weekend. And Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.